So if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 6 for me. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 16 through 20, but we're mainly going to be focusing today on verses 18, 19, and 20. So we're going to read verses 16 um, just so we get the full thought. I didn't want to start mid-sentence. But Ephesians chapter 6, we'll read 16 through 20 and then hone in together on 18, 19, and 20. So if you would stand with me in honor of the one who has given us this word. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, it reads, In addition to all, having taken up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, also receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the Spirit, and to this end, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, as well as on my behalf, the words may be given to me, in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, so that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we so thank you for the opportunity that we have together as a body, your body, united in Christ. Thank you for the passage that we have, the privilege of studying. Thank you for the worship that we have the privilege of giving to you, for you're the only one that's worthy of receiving glory. I pray that we will look to what it means to have an urgent attitude of prayer, that we will understand from this text what it means to pray for one another, to be transparent with, with one another, and to be united in you, and that the, the real fuel and supply for the battle is, is through the Spirit's work in us. I pray that you would move any, uh, remove any distractions from me, uh, that you would help me to speak your word clearly, uh, accurately, and that you would receive all glory, and I would simply be a tool in the hand of the, the, the maker. We glorify you and praise you in your holy name. Amen. All right, you guys can sit down. So think with me. It's a hot day in about 100 B.C., 70, uh, excuse me, 70 uh, A.D., sorry, about 70 A.D., a uh, very hot day, and you're sitting in a room that's dark, you can see the sun coming through the windows, smells a little bit because the Roman soldier that you've been chained to for several days is still sitting next to you chained. And the only thing that you can think of is really how embarrassing it is to be chained to someone and not be able to talk to them. To have the, the, the idea of uh, the, the social stigma of being a prisoner and that you can't leave your own home. And if you imagine that a little bit, you might come close to thinking about where Paul found himself while, while writing this book. Um, most of the time, house arrest in the Roman Empire was chained literally in your home to a Roman guard, and they would rotate in and out. I mean, Roman guards those days did not take hygiene well um, or think highly of it. Um, they were very uh, abusive to most prisoners. Um, it's just a very, very tough situation. So I, the reason why I want you to have that image in your mind is because Paul is very likely in that situation. There could, it could be a chance that he's got the guards outside of his house and he's not actually chained. There's, there's not a lot that says precisely where he is, but just in the historical context of that time, those were the options for house arrest. Either you were chained to someone or they were guarding the door and you weren't allowed to leave. Um, and there was a big idea, this, this idea of, of a social standing at the very bottom of, of all of culture. Um, the prisoners were thought of to be often lower than the lowest realm of slaves. 
Um, so think about that as you as we begin to go through this, because that's what Paul is thinking of when he he will be begging them for prayer, asking them for prayer, beseeching them to pray for both one another and him so that he would have boldness because the situation that he found himself in was one that required the spirit to make it through. Um, so when we think about this text in context of where we're at in chapter six and where we're at in Ephesians overall, Paul is wrapping up his thoughts around how to live out the Christian life. And in particular, in, in chapter six, he's in the same breath as telling us what the armor of God looked like. If you recall from last week, the armor of God is Christ. And we looked at different aspects of how Paul applied that with Christ to us. But now he, in the same breath, is saying that the Spirit, in verse 18, praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the Spirit, and to this end. And so he's telling them, almost with as many words as he gave them the entire armor, he's telling them about prayer and how urgently you have to pray. There's going to be words that we're going to look at, but I want us to understand he is saying, in essence, that the battle cannot be fought without the supply line. The battle cannot be fought without the supply line. You can have the best armor on the, on the earth. Okay, you can have the best army on earth, but if the tanks run out of fuel, are they going to go anywhere? If the soldiers, the best prepared military force in all the world, if they are just loaded out every gun you can think of, every weapon, every amount of training, but they have no food and water, where's the battle going to go? And so when we think about this particular context, Paul is telling us that our power comes from the Spirit, and we cannot, we cannot fight this battle without our supply line locked in place. And the supply for the believer comes from the Spirit. So we're going to look at this together and look at the, the urgent prayer. That's the title of the message today, Urgent Prayer, and how the, the words that Paul uses is going to impact us, uh, I pray, to, to look to prayer much more than perhaps we do. So beginning in point one, an earnest humility. So from verse 18, let me read it again for you. It reads, praying at all times with all prayer and petition the Spirit, and to this end, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So this, this particular point I titled an earnest humility, and we're going to get to where I got that from in just a moment, but first I want to read you a quote um, for about this particular passage that I think really sets up well the idea that we're going to go through this morning about prayer. It reads, The attitude is perhaps even more important than the equipment. That is why Paul insists that believers pray with all kinds of prayer at all times for all the saints. Only by having God's perspective will believers use his armor to full effect. And that's just a beautiful way for us to dig in and, and introduce what we're going to be talking about, which is we have to, as believers, as a body, as a unit, um, we're prepared for battle, we're armored in Christ, must not forget our dependence on Him. We must not forget our dependence on the Spirit. And that dependence is shown in no other, uh, in no better way than through prayer, through urgent prayer, the understanding that there are truly all kinds of prayer. Um, in fact, Paul has already shown the Ephesian church exactly what he's going to tell them or ask them to do. Back in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, Paul has already prayed a perfect example of this prayer. 
You can flip back over there if you would, just a couple pages. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. Let me show you a prime example, and then I'm going to break down prayer for you from throughout Scripture. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would give you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being firmly rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So the very prayer, the very type of petition, the very urgent request, the very the very idea that Paul is laying out here at the end of his book, he has already showed them exactly how that should look. And he says, this is how I pray for you. He is already praying for the Ephesians in this way. So when we think about prayer, I know sometimes we think, well, prayer is just prayer, right? There's just, I just close my eyes and bow my head and cross my hands like this. And I sit down, by the way, don't do that while you're driving. But that's, that's what a lot of us think of when we think of prayer, right? We're going to take a few minutes, we're going to close our eyes, um, and we're going to go on about our day. But Scripture gives us so much more than that. In fact, the, the word in the original language that, that Paul uses here um, in verse 18, praying at all times with all prayer, that was the best way they could translate that into English. But in, in the Greek, it would come out as a all kinds of prayer, every type of prayer. And so when you, when you begin to think through that, you think, okay, so I'm supposed to be praying all the time. First Thessalonians tells us that, right? Pray without ceasing. But what does that mean? I mean, I can only ask for so many people to get healed from their, their cough, right? I mean, th think about how the church has developed their, their attitude of prayer these days. It's, it's who can I pray for? Who's sick? But let's think about what Scripture actually shows us. And praying for someone who's ill is not, not wrong. In fact, we're committed to do that. But sometimes I think we get hung up there. So I'm going to give you several types of worship. I mean, excuse me, several types of prayer. And I'm going to give you an acronym that kind of summarizes that. That would be easy for you to remember. Um, and then I'm going to point you to, to the disciples' prayer, or as some may call it, the Lord's Prayer. Um, and so we're going to look at those three things together to understand what prayer truly looks like. So the first thing is a prayer of worship. A prayer of worship. There is a type of prayer where it's actually worship. Hebrews 13, 15 and Revelation 4, 11 are both good examples of that. Hebrews 13, 15 and Revelation 4, 11. I'm not going to read each example. There's more examples than just what I have written down. So please take those and, and study those at home. There's also a prayer of thanksgiving. Psalm 100 verse 4 is a good example of that. So there's a prayer of thanksgiving. There's also a prayer of faith. This is the idea of praying for someone who's ill. James 5, 13 through 16. Prayer of faith. James 5, 13 through 16. Then there's a prayer of intercession. To intercede on the behalf of someone or a group of people. That's going to be Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 27. If any of the kiddos may remember, or us as adults may remember, what did, what did Daniel get thrown into the lion's den for? Because he was interceding for Israel, right? He had a commitment to prayer. Corporate prayer. There's corporate prayer. So there's where the, the idea of the body praying as one body as a unit together before God. And that's shown in Acts 12, 5 through 18. Acts 12, 5 through 18. Then there's a prayer of consecration. So when you're committing something to the Lord, prayer of consecration, you're consecrating something to God. And that's Matthew 26, 26 through 27. 
And lastly, there's a, the prayer of the Holy Spirit. This is the best way that I can find to title it. Romans 8, 26 through 27. But if you want to write it, maybe your own terms. This is a prayer that you just don't know how to pray. You just don't have the words. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to pray. All you know is you need your Father. And so that's, that's the idea of Romans 8, 26 and 27. Prayer of the Holy Spirit, of course. It's the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk more about that later. But um, So those are just some different aspects of prayer. And so when you think about all the different ways that Scripture has showed us that we ought to be praying, suddenly we don't have too much time to pray. We have not enough time to pray. When we look at the different ways that we ought to be, and now we understand in a little bit better way how Paul can tell us in multiple places throughout his writings to pray without ceasing. A helpful acronym that kind of summarizes all those things, you've probably heard this before, it's the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. A-C-T-S, a, 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 a good way to remember and a good way to come to the Lord in prayer is with adoration, which is the A, confession, which is the C, thanksgiving, which is the T, and supplication, which is the S. So acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Um, sometimes it's helpful to have an outline when you, when you approach prayer time um, to praise God first, to confess any sins, to thank him for who he is, and then to pray to him for the things that we are lifting up to him. And then the last thing I want to point out to you uh, during the study of prayer, these are, this is really a, a phenomenal way to understand how God expects us to approach him because the Son of God himself taught his disciples how to pray in this manner. So Matthew 6, 9 through 13, write that down. I'm just going to read it to you and kind of give you a quick breakdown. You'll see some of the things that we've talked about already about prayer in this prayer from God, uh, from Christ to the disciples teaching them. Matthew 6, verses 9 through, through uh, 13 reads, Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so when you think about how the disciples' prayer, the prayer that, God, that Christ gave to the disciples to pray as an example, he starts with praise. He starts with hallowing the name of God. He starts with God's will being done, calling God to fulfill the promise of our daily bread, reminding him that he has promised to forgive us our debts, to teach us to forgive others, and to not lead us in temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one, which is the very thing that Paul is teaching us in Ephesians 6. It's almost like... The same God that gave us that prayer is the one who gave us Ephesians 6, isn't it? And so when we begin to see prayer in context of all of Scripture, we have to have a higher view of it. Our urgency for prayer must increase. We need to commune with our Father. Now I want to stop here for just a second, and I want to, I want to make sure that we understand that prayer is a privilege that we would, did not have before Christ saved us. The only reason that we can approach a holy God is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The privilege that we have to come into the throne room of a holy king is because our sins were taken upon Christ. As sinners, we could not approach a holy God. And yet, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we come before him boldly, as scripture says, 
confidently in what Christ has done for us. And so the only reason we can come before him is the gospel. And I want to make sure that we are grounded in that because if we lose sight, we lose our humility, which is this first point. Our first point is earnest humility. So let's take this next word. So we've looked at verse 18, looking at praying at all times with all kinds of prayer. And then Paul says, and petition in the spirit. This word for petition in the original language is entreaty. And the English definition, the Oxford English definition of entreaty is earnest or humble request. Earnest or humble request. Now in our world today, let me ask you, the vast majority of teaching in our of evangelical culture, are we taught to pray with humility and a dependence on God? Or are we taught to pray with some kind of, for lack of a better term, freakish overconfidence that we tell God what to do? Think about it for just a minute. I, I think that we have to keep our focus on the humility of prayer. We are coming before a holy God that we would not be able to approach without him bringing us to himself. And we're going to march into his kingdom and say things like, God, I've set up this plan. Now please come work in it and give us a revival. God, I know that this person is going to walk better now. Stand up from your chair, person. Do you see how the contradiction is there? Do you see how our, our evangelical culture has, has twisted Scripture to fit man being higher than God? Now, does Scripture teach us to pray for those who are ill? Absolutely. Does Scripture teach us to approach His throne of grace with confidence? Absolutely. But is it confidence in ourself and our plans, or is it confidence in Christ? Do we come to Him humbly saying, Lord, I have no reason and no no, no purpose here other than you brought me here. I humbly request that you do these things, but I submit to your will. Christ himself even prayed, if, if this cup can be taken from me, please let it pass. But if not my will, yours be done. The humility that we have to have in prayer has got to come from a position of understanding who we are before a holy God. Now, when we think through praying in the Spirit, I want to make sure that we understand, because we're going to go back and look at Romans 8, 26, and 27. So if you'd like to start turning there, I want to address this aspect of prayer. Clearly, if our supply line, clearly if Paul is telling us that we get uh, everything that we need to handle this battle through the Spirit, through prayer, we have to understand what that means. Because if we don't understand what that means, we are going to come up with some pretty crazy ideas about what it means to pray in the Spirit and that kind of thing. Because really, it's been said a spiritual battle requires spiritual resources through dependence and seeking of guidance. So as Paul continues in verse 18, he now says, prayer and petition in the Spirit. And that made me think of Romans 8, 26 and 27. It reads, And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Did you know that your sinful prayers are only heard by a holy God because the Spirit groans for you? The Spirit, the Spirit works to, to translate, if you will. I think that's a good way of, of speaking it. Because often when we pray, do we still have ourselves at center focus? Lord, help me with today. I hope that today is good. Don't let me have a flat tire. I just want to make it to work on time. I should have woke up 15 minutes earlier, but I can't help that. So, Spirit, will you do a magic work? Or kids, Lord, I didn't pray for my test. I didn't study for my test at all for the last four weeks. I'm going to go take my exam here in a few minutes. Lord, bring the facts to mind. Now, I'm being a little bit facetious, a little bit tongue in cheek, but that I just want us to understand that that prayer in and of itself, us talking to a holy God, is still tainted by our flesh. It's still, it's still. There's that aspect where we still need Christ's mediation, who's at the right hand of the Father who's mediating for us as we pray, and the Spirit's translating, if you will, groaning for us, helping us express ourselves in a way that we could not express ourselves to a holy God. We are utterly dependent on Him. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 reads also, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. In other words, Paul is saying you cannot separate both the Spirit from the, from the, the man's mind in prayer, and the man's mind with prayer from the Spirit. You cannot separate the two. So let's understand prayer coming from the foundational application of praying in the Spirit. And this last thing stepped on my toes this week. It did. Because I think sometimes we tend, behind, tend to hide behind in our, in our body, in our church body, we tend to hide behind superficial prayer requests. I know what I'm talking about. So at the end of verse 18, it says, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So we are to pray for one another, for all the saints at all times, with a humility that allows us to be transparent to one another. And we're going to look more about this in the next point because Paul gives us an example of this. But if we're going to pray for one another, let me ask you, if we're going to pray for one another, how can I pray for you if all I know about you is that this particular relative is sick or this particular animal doesn't feel good or... This particular friend has been asking me questions, which is all good stuff. So please don't hear me say don't ask for prayers for those. But when was the last time you sat in a prayer meeting or someone asked for a prayer request and someone had the transparency to go, hey, I have a prayer request. I've really been struggling with lust lately. This is something that's, that's just, it's in my mind. I, I'm just having a hard time controlling my eyes, so i just really like some prayer for that. Or when was the last time we heard a spouse say, hey, I'm really having a hard time submitting to my husband right now. There's just some things or some disagreements we've had. I really could use some prayer for that. Now, I'm not asking for details. Okay? I think too much detail can almost go the other way. Okay? It can cause us to, to derail and even cause other brothers and sisters to stumble. Don't glorify the sin. I'm not saying that. 
But we as a body must be transparent with one another so that we can build this bond of unity to pray for all the saints. So that's the responsibility of those asking for prayer requests. Again, don't hear me say that we don't want to pray for your friends and relatives who are ill or anything like that. But please hear me say to have the confidence and trust in the body that your God has brought you to, to be a part of, to trust them enough that they will pray for you, that they will love you, that they will help you carry your burdens, because that's what the church is for. That's what it's designed to do. It's right here in Scripture. That's what we're here for. And for those who are praying for others, I hope that you all are praying for one another, have some situational awareness. Have some situational awareness. Know each other well enough to know if someone looks off. If you work with someone long enough, right, you can tell when they walk in first thing in the morning, a coworker, you're like, they're having a bad day. 30 seconds. That's all I, that's, generally speaking, the people I work with, I can tell you in 30 seconds if they're having a bad day or not. Can you tell that of the, the members of the body? Do you have that kind of relationship? Can you walk in and say, yep, there's, there's something off. Do you go and approach them? Do we go and approach them? I would tell you, I would liken it to the idea of, of someone who carries a weapon concealed. Anybody ever taken a concealed carry class? You have to be taught situational awareness. You need to know what's going on, where's the door at, who's over here, what do they look like, what's the, the position, what's their body language, what's going on in their minds. Or you might, you might take it to, to kids who don't have situational awareness, right? Kids, how many times will kids just run into stuff and they're like, that, that was there the whole time. Like, how did you run into that? Okay. Have, have the mature situational awareness that you understand your brothers and sisters, that you can see if something's off and love them enough to be uncomfortable enough to go talk to them about it. That can be uncomfortable. Hey, everything okay? And if you're not good in person, do it via text or a phone call so you get confident enough to do it in person. But please hear me saying the urgency of prayer, the humility of prayer is us putting ourselves in the back seat, bringing ourselves down, and understanding that a holy God has brought us to himself, that we are to always be in this state of prayer. There's, there's many ways to pray, and that we are to support one another, praying at all times for the saints. Because we need to be humble enough to admit when we've made mistakes. To be humble enough to know and to admit that we are dependent on the Spirit. To be humble of, enough to know that the Spirit uses the very members of the body that He has brought us to, to fulfill the needs, to work in the lives of the other parts of the body. So that's our application for that first point. Now, as we approach this next point, Paul is now going to exemplify. He is going to teach us the greatest missionary that has ever lived, hands down, inarguably the greatest missionary that's ever lived, wrote the vast majority of the New Testament. He is going to teach us what humility looks like and what dependence on the Holy Spirit looks like. He tells them what to do, and now he's giving them a prime example of how to do that. So point number two, and there's only two, so don't worry, only two, verses 19 and 20. Verse two, uh, the, excuse me, point two is a need for boldness. A need for boldness, verses 19 and 20. So let's read that again together to get our minds back on it. As well as on my behalf, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, so that in proclaiming that, 
excuse me, so that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul has just explained to them to pray for all the saints. Be alert. Pray with all kinds of prayer. Petition. Have an earnest humility in the Spirit. Pray for everyone. And now he's coming and saying, do it for me as well. Do it for me as well. Paul recognizes his utter dependence on the Spirit. He does not have the ability to be bold in the Spirit by himself. And he knows this because he tells the church to pray for one another and him as well. He's fully admitting that he is dependent on the Spirit. Because if he had this figured out in his own power, would he ask for more prayer? When do you stop asking for prayer for things, church? Usually when you think you've got it by the tail. Right? Yeah, I've got this figured out. I don't need, it. I don't need any help anymore. That's when we're like, okay, yeah, my prayer request is, it's not that God has answered it, it's just that I think I've got it under control. How often does that happen? But Paul, he's in prison right now. He's on their house arrest right now for boldly speaking the truth. He's already gotten himself in trouble for doing the exact same thing he's asking for help for from the Spirit. He's asking the church to pray for something he's already doing. When was the last time you asked someone to pray for you in a humble manner to maintain what you're already doing? Or do we think selfishly or confidently enough that we don't need God's help anymore? I know I've been guilty of that. We know he understood this dependence also in Ephesians chapter 3 earlier in this letter. He, he wrote... Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, if indeed you heard the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. He very clearly tells them, I am a prisoner of Christ. It was a gift given to me. There was a revelation made known to me. He shares his dependence upon Christ. And he does it with an earnest humility. An earnest humility. He knows where his power comes from. And again, I'm going to reiterate, this is the Apostle Paul that we're talking about here. Oftentimes when I'm teaching through Scripture and narratives or, or teaching people, I try very, very hard. I'm not always perfect at it, but I try very hard to make sure that God is seen as the example of what we need to follow. But in this regard... Look to Paul and what he, he is being a hum, This is the Apostle Paul. Okay, this is the John MacArthur, probably a bad example. This is, this is, okay, this is, this is, this is the teacher of his day. Okay, not only of his day, but he wrote the majority of the New Testament that we still carry and study that we've preached through for the last seven months. Okay. This is, this is the guy of his day. You know how many churches are literally, how many believers have, have can trace their lineage back to the explosion of Christianity from his work? We're going to see in church history next week. It's amazing when we start church history. The explosion of the church is due in large part to God using the Apostle Paul. And yet he goes, pray for me that I would have boldness, that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. 
He has absolutely no problem showing the church his weakness and his dependence on the Spirit. And this is the type of humility that is needed. When you approach a holy God, this is the example of humility that I'm talking about. Because in our country, and this is hard for us, this is hard for us as believers in America, because we have been raised since 1776 to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, that we are radical individuals who can make it on our own. We don't need anybody else's help. And that is absolutely contrary to what Scripture teaches in the church context. It's absolutely different. Now, please understand, I'm not saying don't work hard and don't, don't try to take care of yourself or any of those things, okay? But we have in American culture swung the pendulum so hard with radical, individual, individual, wow, radical individualism, okay? We have swung that pendulum so hard that it has impacted us in our churches. We no longer see ourselves as humble and in need of help and the dependence on the spirit and the dependence on the body. We have to recover that as a body because our unity depends on it. And as Paul continues here, he tells them in verse 20 that he is an ambassador in chains. An ambassador in chains. This is, this is Paul has a, has a, a way with being ironic. And this is one of the most ironic statements in all of Ephesians. He's an ambassador in chains. And the reason why it's an ironic statement is even culturally today, it's still this way. But back then, an ambassador was treated as, as almost royalty. They were, they, were, they were lifted high. They would have servants. If an ambassador went to another country, if you think about it today, and you think about Washington, D.C., an ambassador's row, and you see all the dignitaries, they are dressed to the nines. There's American interns, right, that are just running around giving them every kind of coffee you can imagine or whatever it is that they want, whatever it is that they need. And they, they're given this special position in the, in the country that they're visiting, and they are held and esteemed higher than most so that this ambassador has a good example and he'll take a good report back. And so for him to say, I'm an ambassador in chains, would have offended the Roman ear. It would have. It would have offended the, Ro the Roman ear. But if you think about it, when you think about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Romans, why would Paul need boldness to speak to the Romans? Well, from a Roman culture, they thought Caesar was their God. Everything that they need, there is no good news to them. They have the good news. Caesar's here and he's ruling everything. We have a pantheon of gods that we can pray to and then the physical one here that we can see, we don't need Jesus. You may say you have a physical Jesus and that's fine. But for you to tell me that I need him isn't good news. I've got everything I need. And so Paul needed this boldness. The, the, everything that Paul taught and is, is, is talking to the Romans about was an offense to them. And so now he's requesting that the church pray for the boldness to continue to speak. And we know that that, answer, that that prayer was answered, do we not? Where did Paul ultimately end up speaking? In Rome. One of the most prime examples of God's answered prayer is Paul asking for prayer for this very thing that you know, I can say with confidence, the Ephesian churches did it. The Ephesian church. And then we see it played out in Acts, where he goes all the way to Caesar. And we see him being confident every step of the way. Every one he came in contact with. In fact, in Colossians, a letter that he wrote at a similar time, probably in the same house, under house arrest, 
as Ephesians, Colossians 1.27, he says, To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He goes on in Colossians 4.3, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so we may speak the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been bound. So when we think through what, what Paul's focus is, when he says, I'm, a, I'm an ambassador in chains, I need boldness to talk about the mystery, Paul's singular focus in life was the gospel. That was his singular focus. Who can I teach it to? Who can I talk to it about? So let me ask you, if you look at your life, do you have that same focus? Do I have that same focus? Is that when I ask for prayer, do I ask for prayer uh, for the things that, that God can, can sanctify in my life so that I might be more bold, so that people won't question me being a believer, so that, so that people will understand that God is at work in my life? Do I live my life with that sort of boldness? I think it's a good question to ask ourselves. But understanding, not swinging the pendulum too far, that I can muster up this boldness, or that I can somehow pray special prayers on the armor of God and have it put on piece by piece, right? We talked about last week that the armor is Christ. I am not saying that we can do this on our own, but neither is Paul. That's my point. Do we focus on prayer and dependence on needing God to, to give us the strength through the Spirit to live out these things? Or do we think we can manhandle it? And so we know where Paul's priorities were. And he knew the responsibility he had. He knew. He knew what was coming. Remember, he had been guided by the Spirit throughout this whole time. He went to Macedonia. He went to all kinds of different places. He knew what was coming, and yet his prayer was not to change his circumstances. That wasn't his prayer. Could Paul have easily prayed, hey church, I pray for, or I ask you to pray for me that this Roman next to me would take a bath and that these chains could be loosened a little bit or even better, how about, how about Caesar pardon me? Let's do that. So if you guys could pray that my circumstances would change, I'd love to come back in fellowship and sing worship songs with you and I think that would be a better thing. Is that what he prayed? Or did he pray for the strength in the spirit, the dependence on God to live out the life with boldness that God had called him to? What was his focus? Was it himself? Or was it the gospel? So an application for this text, for this point, excuse me, this, this dependence that we see is fostered this dependence that we have on one another, that we should have with one another, this dependence is fostered by building relationships amongst one another. How can you know to pray for someone or how can you, can you understand if they're, they're in need of something or, or if they're, they're being open and transparent with you if you don't build relationships? You can't truly lift up the body if you're not doing that. You can't. And so for us to fulfill what, what Paul is commanding us to do, which is to pray to earnestly petition, to be humble, to depend on the Spirit, to be bold. We have to be able to do that for all the saints. That little phrase he throws in there, for all the saints. We have to know one another. 
And there's something else that we have to do, which is confess sin. To confess sin. Nothing brings us to a level of dependence on God than having our sin brought to, to our mind, does it? Is there ever a time that you are more humble and more acknowledge more your need for God than, than when he reveals that sin to you? And you're like, man, I messed up again. That is, what, 27 times this month. I don't know what it is. But when we think about our, our sin and we think about us confessing both corporately and individually, I think we as a church should have a time dedicated. We may even learn to have a time dedicated to corporate confession of sin. And that's coming to the Lord as a body and confessing and, and, and understanding that we sin as a body and acknowledging our dependence upon him. But we have to foster this dependence. We have to understand our place so that we will be humble and earnestly pray urgently having an attitude of prayer at all times. Because truly we are to be in a constant state of prayer. Please understand, I'm not saying you wake up at 8 a.m. and say, dear God, and you right before you go to sleep, you say amen, and that way you're praying all day. That's not what I'm saying. But when we went through the, the ideas of prayer that we had, the different types of prayer in Scripture, there is, there is this constant attitude of prayer. I, I find myself, um, whenever, whenever I'm, I'm able to see a situation, I, I know that God is growing me when the first thought is I better pray about it. Because prayer should be our first stop. Prayer should be the first place that we go to our Father. In, in good, bad, indifferent, somebody passes you, you see a wreck on the highway, you see a house on fire, you, you see the, all the things that we see and go around us. Is your first thought to pray or is your first thought, I wonder what's going on over there? And again, that takes time. I'm not perfect at it. No one's perfect at it. But it, it begins to build this culture in you of dependence on God when you take things to him in prayer. When your friend says, hey, I've got a big night, a big thing coming up, do you, do you pray with them right then? So let me ask you, if, if someone walked up to you at, at church and said, hey, hey, I'm so excited I've got an interview for a new job. Really? Let's pray. And you pray right then. Or how many times have you said, yeah, I'll be praying about that, and then it goes, whoop. You never think about it again. Right? Prioritize that urgent prayer because we're all dependent on the Spirit. Don't think yourself more or less than anyone else in this room, or more than anyone else in this room. We are all dependent on the Spirit equally. Pray for one another. We are all dependent on the Spirit equally. In sin, we, we sin. We have to have the Spirit's help. Pray for one another. Be open, honest, transparent. Because it's only the Spirit's work that changes our desires and that helps us remember our position in Christ. Because we're, we're nearly done with Ephesians. Next week is our last Sunday in Ephesians. And we'll, we're going to have a time of review next week as well. But think about this aspect of Paul wrapping up in context of the whole book. He begins with pointing us to Christ and our need for him in the first chapter. This is essentially Paul's last thoughts. He has a conclusion statement where he says, hi, everyone. And Timothy says, hi, you guys ever seen that joke, right? And so he's going to say hi to everyone, but there's, there's this, his last thought is coming back and bringing us full circle back into what? A dependence on Christ. Paul has begun the letter and ended the letter explaining our need for a Savior. And that all of our obedience comes from that. Comes from us understanding who we are in Christ, the indicative and the imperative. The first three chapters of Ephesians, I'm going to say it again because Ephesians is almost over. 
the first three chapters of Ephesians, is for us to understand our position in God. And the last three chapters is us to live that out because of who we are in God, in Christ. So I'd like to, to close this time today, this sermon, with a, a quote from Calvin. Calvin said, To call upon God is the chief exercise of faith and hope, and it is in this way that we obtain from God every blessing. Let me read that again. To call upon God is the chief exercise of faith and hope. That's the chief exercise, faith and hope, to call on God. So I'll leave you with this thought before I pray. Call on your Father. Call on Him. Call on Him. Be united in Him as a body before Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you now grateful that you have taught us the urgency that we need in prayer the dependence that we have on you. We thank you so much for the opportunity to learn and understand the, the need to be transparent with one another, to have the earnest humility to, to come before you in utter dependence on you. I pray that our constant state of prayer, that the attitude of prayer would be the supply line that we need as a body to fight the battle that you have told us is around us. I pray that we would take this with us through the week and glorify you in all that we do. In your holy name I pray. Amen.